At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. My favorite plant to grow in my yard is the fruit tree because you plant it once and you get fruit for decades. If you have ever been curious on the best ways to be successful in growing fruit trees, today is your lucky day. Why? Because my team and I have compiled our best interviews and videos in one place to assist you in growing your own toe-tingling peaches and awesome apples right out your front or back door. Plus, as an added bonus, we've included an in-depth guide to successfully growing fruit trees in your yard. To get access to this information, it's free by the way, just go to urbanorchard.org or text FRUIT to 33444. That's urbanorchard.org or text FRUIT to 33444. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have featured farmer Melinda Lee Adkins to talk about her experience with gardening on a budget and homesteading. Melinda's urban homesteader journey began as a child, watching her mother and grandmother tend their gardens, which instilled in her a love and appreciation for gardening. After college, she purchased a home in the city and secured employment with a local school district, as well as as a part-time park ranger. The park had an 1880s working farm on the property, which gave her the opportunity to visit and observe vintage skills. It was during her time as a park ranger that her love of the outdoors and living a simpler life grew. She has a great love of nature and has earned a wildlife habitat certification as a result. Eventually, she began incorporating skills she learned from the farm staff into her own urban homestead. Somehow, she finds time to watch documentaries in her spare time to continue her learning. Melinda is highly invested in helping her community and is the founder of hpc-community.com. Welcome to the show today, Melinda. Hello, Greg. It's nice to talk with you today. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Uh, Yes. Uh, My grandmother and mother had gardens, and I spent time outside with them in their gardens. I have fond memories of our time gardening and cooking. After college, I was offered a job as a part-time park ranger at a park with a living historical farm. I jumped at that opportunity. Oh, no kidding. Wow. The living historical farm depicts farm work and family life of the 1880s. Farm staff used tools, equipment, and methods used before the introduction of electricity, 
or gasoline. And I've always been a fan of history, and that was my favorite subject in oh, wow. high school. So um, that type of park was, I was offered two separate parks, one uh, on one side of town and the other actually was closer to me. But because of the 1880s farm, I, I said, no, I want the uh, park with a farm. So oh, the, no the farm the farm has crops, fruits and vegetables that are heirloom varieties. Mm -hmm. The types and breeds of lice, livestock are typical of those found on a central Ohio farm. Draft horses, human muscle, and the wind are the primary sources of working energy. Mm -hmm. In the farmhouse, the food is prepared and preserved on a wood-burning cook stove. Wow. I, I fell in love with the park. I loved going to work. It was part-time, but I loved every time that I put that uniform on, I was ready to go. Every chance I got, I asked the farm staff questions. I think they got tired of me, actually. <laughs> I watched and learned all that I could. Uh -huh. I even began researching alternative home building and alternative energy. And at that time, it was a little unorthodox and unusual. What, and in the, so what was a little unorthodox and unusual? Uh, I was interested in earth bag building, straw bell building, uh -huh. tire homes uh, mm. they're built out of tires adobe cob so for columbus that that's very unusual it's not heard of my co-workers joked a lot about that and in the early 2000 urban homesteading was not popular in columbus we're a little bit behind on that well and, actually actually i think it wasn't uh, popular really anywhere and, and I had a difficult time finding like-minded individuals. So over the years, I have taken various homesteading classes, but there was really no community to share with. Uh -huh. So I created a web page to share my homesteading struggles and successes and to, just to, to talk with other people and learn what, uh, you know, their experiences. Hmm. Cool. So that is uh, hpc-community.com, yes? So what do you do there? Well, it's a fairly new website, mm -hmm. and it, it's not even a year old. So as a single mother, I realized that homesteading equipment and classes are expensive, and I was very fortunate to have knowledgeable people to learn from. The average person will not have the resources I had. And it took time for me to purchase the canning and dehydrating equipment and supplies. Mm -hmm. And for someone starting out, I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn the skills and purchase the equipment may seem out of reach, reach for them. So I wanted to share my experiences on budgeting, homesteading, and alternative gardening. In addition, I wanted to create a homesteading community for people to share, learn, yeah. network, and have fun. And I didn't have that when I was learning. Yeah. Um, I, I had the farm staff, which I was fortunate to have. But outside of that, I didn't have anyone else to share it with. Right. So with the evolution of the Internet and, you know, our, our being able to create simple websites, 
which was significantly different from, you know, 2000 when you started this, that has given us an opportunity to have a bigger reach. Have you found that? Yes. And I have located other groups by Facebook Mm -hmm. and people like you that are podcasting and sharing their knowledge. And it's helped tremendously and it's so encouraging for me. And I learn by listening to some of your guests, uh, the different types of techniques and methods that they're using. It's, it's so exciting and so enjoyable to listen to one of your podcasts on a Sunday morning. And then I go out into my garden and enjoy my garden. (laughs) Nice, 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 nice. So your website, hpc-community.com, what's the HPC stand for? The Homesteading and Preparedness Collective. And I chose this name to represent represent a collective of individuals that promote community education and self-reliance, sustainability, mm-hmm. and preparedness skills. What does HPC stand for? What is your what is your stand behind what you do? My goal is to share my experiences and to bring people together and to inspire people that gardening is easy and they can do it. It you know, there are big, large gardens that it that they may see in their community and it may look intimidating, but you just take one little small project at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, start with a few tomatoes and cucumbers and the next year add maybe a few berry plants or a apple tree. So each year, just keep adding to your garden and you will have that large, beautiful garden that someone Mm. else in your community may have. Yeah. And then share it, right? And then share your knowledge. If you are intimidated by, you know, learning gardening, seek out either someone at a community garden or go to a master gardener program, a gardening club to start getting the basics. Go to the library, look mm-hmm. online to get the basics to get started. Take a class at Urban Farm U. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> there you go. In your bio, you mentioned a term that is, is called vintage skills. Uh, tell us your t- what is a vintage skill and what are your top three favorite ones? From the farm, the vintage skills that I enjoy most are canning. Um, I would say dehydrating. Mm-hmm. The th- vintage skills that I learned from the park, I'm not able to do at home, uh, such as hog butchering, oh, chicken right. butchering. Mm-hmm. Some of those skills are interesting. They smoke the the hog and and uh, a smokehouse. Mm-hmm. So those some of the items I do not possess. I don't have a smokehouse, and but I I would love to own a larger piece of property, which I could build a smokehouse and do that. Yeah, because it is delicious. I think that's my uh, 
the biggest thing that I hear from people in urban areas that they wish they could buy a bigger piece of property or they had more property. I know that for me is at the urban farm here is a, is one of my wishes. So I feel like I'm outgrowing. Oh yeah. Uh, this, this property, even though I've only really worked on the gardening for the past three years, I feel like I'm outgrowing it already. I want to add apple trees and more berry bushes. And I just, I feel like I don't have the area that to, to have everything I want to do mm-hmm. chickens. And, and I, I'm a little concerned about having chickens on the street that I'm on. It's a four lane busy street. And I think that the traffic noise would not be good for the chickens. Well, the good news, Melinda, is that chickens aren't really going to be bothered by the traffic. As long as you can keep them in your yard, the traffic noise doesn't seem to bother them. So I say build yourself a small chicken coop and go. I would have to fence in my front yard. I do have a very small backyard. Uh So that that is something i'm considering and bees oh and bees oh my gosh yes yeah cool have you ever played with bees because that is another one of those vintage skills is it not yes there were bees on the farm property and i have taken some basic beekeeping classes uh it's just a matter of fencing in the front yard and uh buying the the equipment and hive. Yeah. Cool. So if I was standing on the street out in front of your house and looking mm-hmm. at your place, what, what, tell me about your space. Give me a, a, a picture in words of what the space is, what it looks like, what you do there. Um, you know, where you have fun at. Well, I am in Columbus, Ohio. I'm four miles from downtown Columbus. Uh-huh. I am on a four-lane busy street. Mm. To the west of me, there is a large middle school. I am on a 0.28-acre plot. I'm on a corner lot. Uh, Unfortunately, my front yard is not fenced yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, My front yard is mostly flat, but it does have a slight slope at the east side of my yard and my front yard is larger than my backyard Oh, nice. there therefore i did plant a raised bed vegetable garden in the front yard oh, and fantastic. i also have i have a rain garden in the front yard mm-hmm. cool in in the backyard i have berry plants strawberries blueberries blackberries i have herbs a small pond, a Mm. four foot by two foot pond. And I'm learning about aquatic edible plants. Oh, nice. And I do have an area where I planted potatoes in pots or or not actually pots. They were more like buckets. And I did get a nice crop of potatoes but next year, I think I'm going to try them in trash cans. Oh. So I get a huge crop. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. No kidding. There's also this technique that I've seen for potatoes where they, uh, and you can buy a potato, I'm going to call it a potato basket, but it's much bigger than a basket. It's probably four foot in diameter. And mm-hmm. uh, so, and it's this plastic sheeting that you put in a circle or a ring and you put the potatoes in the bottom. And as the potatoes continue to grow up, you put, you put compost and hay and stuff on top of them so that uh, you know, over the course of four or five months, you get these new layers or like lasagna gardening on top and the potatoes continue to grow out up. And then what happens at the end of the season, you just undo the the fasteners, uh, take the ring off and, you know, and you have this you know, three foot tall pile of potatoes, essentially. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't work in the desert because it's so dang hot here. But mm. you might try that. That does sound easier. Yeah. <laughs> Even yeah. digging into a bucket was, uh, I mean, I could have emptied the whole bucket out, but, right. uh, you know, I i didn't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's just a lot of work. It's just right. a lot of work. That product sounds like something I need. Yeah. Well, you, go ahead. Yeah, give it a try. I, you know, uh, I you know, go to Google and type in potato rings or something like that. You know, and it, it it'll come up. It'll absolutely come up. You mentioned aquatic edibles. Could you tell us a little bit about that? I have a few aquatic edibles. I have water celery. Let me think here. What do I have? I believe I have water celery. I don't have watercress yet. I do have cattails. All these are edible. Yes. Wow. I I haven't tried them yet that because mm-hmm. they they were um, newly planted. So I'm I'm waiting a, a couple of years to yeah. let them you know mature. get large enough, yeah. get mature. Um, but I I I've planted so much in that little four foot by two foot pond. I I think I'm going to try to buy another pond <laughs> and and only do edibles. And I would like to research. Breeding fish. Mm-hmm. Aquaponics is one of the things. Have you heard of aquaponics? I've heard of it. Yeah. I've seen people make systems for indoors. Oh, yes. Right. With PVC, and that's interesting. Uh-huh. So I'd like to do a little bit more research cool. on that. I Right now, I don't have the room indoors yeah. for that we have a uh, aquaponics course that we offer through Urban Farm U. Basically, it's fish-powered gardening, and the the intent or the the thought behind it is that the fish poop feeds the plants, and the plants clean the water. So, it's really but fascinating. You, you cannot have the fish in the same tank with the edible plants, plants. correct? <laughs> that is the case. <laughs> that is the case. They will. Uh, devour the plants so because the the generally the fish that you raise are tilapia uh, and they are uh, they are vegetarians so Mm. yeah cool i see so the vintage skills that you mentioned were canning and dehydrating Um, why do they call them vintage skills well when i was growing up my grandmother she made homemade pies she canned she she made everything from scratch Mm -hmm. her noodles everything 
today I think so many people are busy working and trying to raise their family, uh, just trying to keep up with their, the household chores that they don't have the time to to make everything from scratch and and, and we've lost some of those skills. Yeah, um, we've lost canning your food at the end of the season. We've lost making homemade noodles and homemade pies. And, you know, the memories that I have of the time in the kitchen and in the garden with my grandmother are, are just so wonderful. And it just warms my heart thinking about the, the memories. And I think that parents, it, it would be a great gift to give your children to go out into the garden and spend time with your your children in the garden planting mm. and harvesting mm-hmm. and and to bring that harvest in and teach them to cook what they've harvested and i remember um, about 5 years ago my brother he had a 3 acre place and he decided to plant uh, grapes and blueberries and blackberries and strawberries and when his children were very young they would go out into that yard and pick the berries and come back into the house with their faces uh, all purple just all purple and yeah and it just it was it was uh so wonderful that the children were able to go out in their own yard and enjoy their yard and the environment. And and not only do the children love it, but, you know, you have wildlife that will be attracted. You have Mm. bees and butterflies, uh, grasshoppers, you know, all types of of animals and insects, uh, birds that are attracted. And I enjoy looking out my window and watching the birds and sometimes I'll have a squirrel digging in my backyard I think the squirrels have learned not to come into my backyard because I have a snouser (laughs) so they they pretty much stay to the front yard but occasionally they feel it's safe to go into the backyard so I can look out my kitchen window and see a, a cardinal or you know a blue jay and it's just it's it's relaxing. It's it's um, good for my soul. Yeah. Oh, beautifully said. Good for your soul. Absolutely. So in your bio, I read that you have a wildlife habitat certification, and I think it's actually two certifications. Is it not? Yes. Tell us about those. My yard has been certified as a native plant butterfly garden and habitat through the wild ones program and the national wildlife federation i have a wildlife habitat certification wow Um, the wild ones program is a great program it promotes planting native plants and natural landscapes they these practices attract pollinators and wildlife and the The program is very simple. It requires food, water sources, and wildlife nesting or shelters for wildlife. Hmm. A Wild Ones representative Mm -hmm. 
visited my garden to evaluate and determine if my garden fulfilled the requirements. If a garden is lacking a requirement, then the representative will make suggestions and return with re- when the requirement is completed. Oh. Uh, once the requirements are met, the garden is certified as a native plant, butterfly, garden, and habitat. And you have to have so many native plants in your garden. Uh, I believe it's 75% um, along with the water sources and, and food requirements. Wow. And who are giving these certifications? It's uh, The Wild Ones program is a national program. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if they're in every state, but they're in most states. So our local, we have a local chapter here in Columbus, and they do have uh, monthly meetings, and they also have seminars and and, and educational programs. And then they also um, will go out into the community and try to save different habitats. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. How cool is that? Sounds like a uh, really worthwhile program to help reinstate wildlife corridors, right? Well, the focus right now is on monarchs. Oh, right, of uh, course. You know, monarchs are um, struggling. Their numbers are down. So uh, we are planting milkweed and plants that will aid and feed and you know, help the, the monarchs yeah. breed and, 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 and flourish, you know, it's, it's sad that, but the pesticides not only are, are killing the bees, but monarchs and some of our, of our pollinators, we need pollinators. Yeah. Yeah. That is the case. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might've learned from it. <laughs> Well, I inoculated logs with mushroom spores, and I placed them in my backyard with plans on building something to shade them because most of my yard is sunny. Well, unfortunately, um, due to my schedule, I didn't get the mushroom house built that first year. Uh So I had a friend come over the following summer and he helped me build a mushroom house but I was concerned that the mushroom spores were ruined from overexposure to the sun and lack of water so I contacted the spore company and I learned that I can shock the inoculated logs And that process is simply submerging the logs in water for 24 hours and then placing them in a shady area and keeping the logs moist. Oh, interesting. Um, So the representative informed me that I should have mushrooms this fall or next spring. Uh Now, the problem with the the mushroom house is that I do have to water it every day or I have to put in a sprinkler system Mm -hmm. and put it on a timer. Right. So... I am waiting to see if they can be saved. If not, I'm going to have to start the process all over again. And that process is once you inoculate the logs with the spores, 
it takes two years before you normally get a crop. Uh-huh. So sounds I like hope... a great sounds like a grand experiment to me. Well, I'm just sad that I I may have ruined the first yeah. the first batch of logs. Well, and it, you know, again, it, it, here's what I tell people. Growing food is one great big grand experiment. We need to jump in and give it our best shot and forgive ourselves for the rest of it. So forgive yourself for the rest of it, okay? But two years is a long time uh -huh. to wait for mushrooms. Yeah, I know. I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. So what do you consider your biggest success? Building the stone raised bed around the tree in my front yard. Ooh. That was difficult. Yeah. There were many obstacles in building the bed. First, the bed is built on a slight slope, mm -hmm. and I had tree roots to dig and build around. And it's back-breaking work. It, it took me an entire summer to dig the trench mm -hmm. and lay the gravel and the footer and, and, and start laying the, the stones. It, it was a lot of work. I, I didn't have to go to that extreme, but I wanted something beautiful. Yeah. And... Garden gardening can be as simple or as difficult as you want to, to make it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you want an elaborate uh, design in your garden, like I have with the the raised beds, um, stone and wood, mm -hmm. I I wish I would have read the square foot gardening book before. Yeah. Uh, I may have changed my mind about that, but. I, I probably wouldn't have because yeah. I like challenges, but that that was a big success to work on that and fight through the challenges and overcome them and see the beauty in it. And it, it's so nice when I started the project, my yard was tore up uh, and my neighbors came by and mm. they were like, Lee, what are you doing to your yard? It looks awful. And by the end of the summer, the plants were in and they were looking good. And my neighbors came by. And they were giving you high fives. Yes, they were. And yeah. and now it's it's three years later and people walk down the sidewalk and stop and look and ask questions and compliment my yard and... It's it's exactly what I wanted. I wanted wanted people to see that it can be done in the city and that they can do it too. So what I've done is now that my plants are thriving, I thin out my plants and I'm giving my plants to my neighbors. Oh, and nice. and so for some of my neighbors that you know. For as many plants as that I purchased, um, it can be expensive. There are ways oh, to, yeah. you know, because I, I bought quite a few. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I did buy them at the end of the season. Oh, nice. So they're so, discounted maybe? Yes. Um, perennials. You buy your perennials at the end of the season and mm -hmm. plant them. And they may look awful at the end of the season, but... You're getting them so cheap. Yeah. You know, a dollar or two per plant when 
the regular price might be $15. Mm-hmm. So if you lose one or two, then it's okay. You're not losing so much. So that was one way I saved. And, and I just want people to see that they can do it too. If it, Since I do live in a middle to low income area, people that may not have the finances, they can do it. Right. Uh, by either joining gardening groups or going to FreeCycle or Craigslist. And there are people on Craigslist that thin out their plants and give them away. Oh, good answer. I and, like that. And, and, you know, people do that because they, they hate to see the plants thrown away. They right. want other people to get the benefit and enjoyment out of those plants. So that's a great way to get free plants. Let your friends and your family know that you're you're gardening and that you'll take any extras. <laughs> um, you know, go to gardening clubs mm-hmm. and seed seed saving groups and exchange seeds. Oh, that's ex- a big one. Yeah, exchange plants. Uh, sometimes there's churches and groups, community the community gardens. They have sales for extra plants. Mm-hmm. So there's many places you can go to get extra, to get plants to get started. Cool. Well, and it sounds to me like what you, this is part of what you do on your uh, hpc-community.com page is you really connect people um, with resources like this, right? Well, we've gone out into the community and we've participated in a couple of festivals. Mm-hmm. And at, uh, we participated in a local, it was called Westgate Summer Jam. <laughs> and uh, was, it, was it a music festival or a jam festival or both? They, they both. They yeah, had, nice. uh, they, promote, they promote arts in the community. Uh-huh. And every year is a different theme. The first year was pollinators. Uh, last year was gardening. And uh, this Next summer will be moving and grooving exercise. Nice. Nice. So nice. Uh, nice. last year, our booth, we had a booth which was basically a demonstration booth. We made seed balls and seed tapes, which went over. It was very, we were busy the whole entire day. Wow, cool. Um, we had, yes, yeah. wow. we had cool. a demonstration uh, straw bale. For strawberry bale oh gardening, gosh. yeah, we had a bucket or container gardening, and we had a small demo of a raised bed oh, from recycled wood from FreeCycle or no, it was Craigslist, I believe. Craigslist. I got the yeah. someone was tearing down a deck, and um, it's easy for someone else to come and pick up the wood so they put it on free uh free cycle uh no it was craigslist Craigslist. i'm sorry craigslist so i went and picked up the wood i sealed it and i made raised beds so i made a small raised bed so that i could take it out in the community and show people that they can make well i think raised beds are good for people who live in apartments Mm -hmm. that cannot dig on the property owner's property right and, you know, they make this little raised bed. They can take it to their next apartment. Oh, yes. Or house that they're uh-huh. renting. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't disturb 
the property owner's property, or they can container garden or straw barrel garden. So that was my my point in taking those items to yeah. the festival that people with any physical limitations, either if they have a handicap or arthritis or um, are, are older, mm-hmm. they can still straw bale. They don't have to get down on the ground. They can straw bale garden or race bed or container garden. Yeah. Perfect. So there's still options for them. That is an amazing amount of successes. It sounds like you're doing great work out there. So what drives you? Well, I think the biggest thing that drives me is the memories that my grandmother created for me in the garden and in her kitchen. Uh And I would like to bring that back into the homes in America um, to, to have families enjoy the outdoors Mm -hmm. and enjoy gardens and to eat healthier, to plant gardens with their children, create those memories and once you've har- harvested the food, teach your children how to cook. Yeah. yeah. You know, you instead go. of these um, GMO-filled foods and food filled with preservatives, you know, the, the food that you buy at the store, uh, they're so filled full of things that are not good for you. Yeah. And... So create your own. You, it's so to to eat a tomato from my garden is so much different than buying one from the store. Yeah. Uh, it I like my I can't buy a tomato in the winter. I just can't eat those tomatoes. Yeah. No, I hear you. I I'm I'm the same way about peaches. I I can no longer buy a store bought peach. I have to I have to grow them or I don't eat them. So I hear you. So I'm all about education, and I have to know, is there one book that has been influential for you in this process in your life? Well, I'm an avid reader. I, I love books. I have a large collection of books, and I have several books that right now I am reading. I'm halfway through the Square Foot Gardening, the yep. new edition. The new edition, yep. And Straw Bell Gardening. And what really got me started reading gardening environmental books was Backwoods Home Magazine Uh, and Mother Earth News. mm -hmm. And I I enjoy grit. So some some of those magazines really propelled me into researching and and deviling more into the vintage skills and alternative energy, alternative home building, and and the whole homesteading community. Mm-hmm. Just getting into that community and learning more about gardening and homesteading. Nice, nice, nice. So, what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? that anyone can do anyone can garden anyone can do it and that it may seem intimidating but just take one step at a time 
don't give it overwhelmed. If you feel that all you can handle the first year is planting a few plants, then just plant a few plants. Mm-hmm. And research, do a little research and get involved in groups that can help you in your gardening endeavors and your journey, because it is a journey. And it's an enjoyable journey. Yeah. And enjoy it. It, it's it is it's not only good for your health but it's good for your spirit and soul yeah. so just do it <laughs> well thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today melinda it has been a treat getting to chat with you thank you greg for yeah. inviting me to your podcast i enjoy talking with you today absolutely so how can our listeners find you get a hold of you find out more about what you do they can go to the webpage, hpc-community.com, mm-hmm. or they can email me at sustainability at hpc-community.com. And I also have a Facebook, which is called Urban Homesteading and Country Skills, and it's the urban homesteading and country skills in Columbus, Ohio. Perfect. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Well, that's it today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. My favorite plant to grow in my yard is the fruit tree because you plant it once and you get fruit for decades. If you have ever been curious on the best ways to be successful in growing fruit trees, today is your lucky day. Why? Because my team and I have compiled our best interviews and videos in one place to assist you in growing your own toe-tingling peaches and awesome apples right out your front or back door. Plus, as an added bonus, we've included an in-depth guide to successfully growing fruit trees in your yard. To get access to this information, it's free by the way, just go to urbanorchard.org or text FRUIT to 33444. That's urbanorchard.org or text FRUIT to 33444. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.